I want to set the stage for you here very quickly for what we are about to read at the book of Joshua. Now, don't panic. I'm going back to Genesis, but I'm going to do this very, very quickly. We know the book of Genesis opens with God creating Adam and Eve, and he wanted them to walk in a right relationship with him. They did that for a while, but then they sinned, they disobeyed, and then they began begatting kids, and they begat them in their own image, and this sin, this human nature just multiplied, and evil grew on the earth. And we get to the early parts of Genesis, and the Lord says, you know, I'm really frustrated with what's going on, and we know that God sent a great flood but he spared Noah and his family. They came out of the ark and the Lord said, I want you to multiply and scatter and fill the earth. And Moses' descendants began multiplying and the people said, we don't want to scatter. We want to gather. We don't want to be destroyed. And so they gathered in Genesis chapter 11 for the Tower of Babel. And they said, we're going to build this great tower, this great temple that reaches to heaven. So we will not be scattered. This displeased the Lord. He came down. He confused their languages. And he spread them all over the earth, which was his plan. Scatter and subdue the earth. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God was dealing with humanity sort of as a whole. But then in Genesis chapter 12, something very remarkable happens. Out of all the people on the earth, God selects one man, Abram. Changes his name to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, from you and your descendants, I am going to develop a great nation, the nation of Israel. And I am going to use Israel to be a blessing to the whole earth. And I'm going to make a lot of promises to you. And here's one of the things that I am promising to you and your descendants. A land. They will have a homeland. I promise you. Hence, we call it the promised land. And then in the book of Genesis, we read about Abraham and his kids, Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob has a son, Joseph. And through a series of events, Joseph ends up in Egypt. And he's sort of like the vice president, the vice king, the vice pharaoh. And he saves his family and the people from a great famine. And so the children of Israel end up in Egypt. Joseph dies. His descendants began multiplying greatly. And it says a king of Egypt arose who did not know Joseph. Didn't know anything about Israel. He just knew that these people were multiplying rapidly and he was afraid. And he said, we have got to make these people servants. We've got to push them down lest they rise up and join our enemies. And so the children of Israel lived in Egyptian captivity for years. But then you know the story. They cry out, and God raises up Charlton Heston. I mean, <laughs> Moses. So Moses goes into Egypt and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses leads them out of Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea, and on their way to the Promised Land, on their way to the Promised Land, they decide that they're going to send out 12 spies to go out and survey the land to see what they were up against. So they sent out 12 spies. Ten came back and said, we can't do it. The people over in the land are numerous. It's a wonderful land, but we can't do it. There were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, we can do this. Trust the Lord. But the people listened to the ten rather than the two. They said, we can't do it. 
And so the Lord said, because you have not believed me, you're not going into the promised land. You are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this unbelieving generation passes off and we're going to let your kids and grandkids go into the promised land. And so that's what happens. They wander in the desert for 40 years. Now they are to the east side of the Jordan River. And even Moses himself is not allowed to go into the promised land because Moses had an encounter with the Lord where he disobeyed in the wilderness. And the Lord said, you can go to the mountain and you can look over and see, but you're not going in. And so Moses dies. But Moses, as we've already learned, had a leader in training, Joshua. So now... We are on the east side of the Jordan River. They are supposed to cross over and go to the west side, to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. Moses has died, and the people mourned for 30 days. That's where we pick up the reading. Needed to have all of that so we can appreciate what we're about to read. All right, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads. I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses... I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Let's stop right there to get what's going on. East side, getting ready to cross to the right side, the west side. And notice what the Lord says to Joshua. Verse number two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and I are thousands of years removed from this. We read that in an unemotional, objective way. We're not affected by that. Moses is dead, the Lord says to Joshua. But we've got to go back in time. We've got to put ourselves in their shoes, in Joshua's shoes. Listen, Moses is the man. Moses is the leader. Moses, Moses is the protector. Moses is the interceder. Moses had direct connection with God face to face. Moses is the man. Moses is the one they look to. Moses is dead, the Lord says to Joshua. Talk about a time of uncertainty. Moses is dead. Uncertainty happens. Life is filled with swift transition. Death happens. Disease happens. Destruction happens. Divorce happens. Debt happens. Life is filled with swift transition. So what's the next thing the Lord says to Joshua? Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now... Therefore arise and cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I have given you. Do you see it? The Lord comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. You have mourned 30 days. 
Now is the time. Now is the time. The time for what? Arise. Stand up. Straighten up. Get up. Gear up. Power up. Man up. Arise. And cross the Jordan. Joshua, get up and get going. Joshua, get up and lead these people across the Jordan. You take them from the east side of wandering to the west side of possessing. You take them from the east side of doubting to the west side of believing. You take them from the east side of hope to the west side of reality. You get up and get going. You see, uncertainty happens. Things happen to you. Things happen to me. And the Lord is gracious. He allows us to catch our breath. He allows us to get our sea legs. But there comes a point in time when it's now. Now. Arise. Now. Get up. And get going. We're not to stay down in the uncertainty. We're here to get up. And get going. Arise. The Lord told Joshua. Now, I don't know about you, but these are some inspiring words. They fire me up. I get fired up just reading them again. I've been reading them all week. I've read them again. They fire me up. They're inspiring. They're motivating. Get up and get going. Oh, that fires me up. But i got a feeling if I were Joshua, I would be just a wee bit, a little bit intimidated. Because like we said, Joshua is a great leader. He's been working with Moses since his youth, the Bible says. He's been well-trained, well-equipped. But he always had Moses to fall back on. Moses is dead. Joshua is now the man. So I would certainly understand if Joshua, Joshua had a few butterflies, a few sweaty palms, knees buckled ever so slightly. Personally, think the Lord knew that because he told Joshua, as we've already heard, he told Joshua the same thing three times. Notice what the Lord says to Joshua in verse 6 Be strong and courageous. Verse 7 Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Why is he telling him the same thing three times? And if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses was equipping Joshua, he was telling him the same thing. Be strong and courageous, because he's facing a situation where he would be tempted not to be strong and courageous. So the Lord tells Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. And each time he tells him, he gives him a different reason for being strong and courageous. Let's go back to verse number 6. Be strong and courageous, for you will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua was to be strong and courageous because of the promise of the land. God had promised the land, and it was going to come to pass. Now look at verse number 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which my servant 
Moses has commanded you. He was to be strong and courageous because he had the precepts of the law. And then drop down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He was to be strong and courageous because he had the presence of the Lord with him. Now I'm going to leave the first and the third reasons for you to study on your own. Joshua was to be strong and courageous because he had the promise of the land. It was guaranteed God was going to do this. He was also to be strong and courageous, verse 9, because he had the presence of the Lord. The Lord said, I'm not sending you out there by yourself. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm right there with you every step of the way. Okay, so I'm going to leave those two for you. But what we're going to address this morning, really that middle one, be strong and courageous because you have the precepts of the law. You have the Word with you. That was the certain Word in this uncertain time. So we're going to camp out this morning here on verses 7 and 8. Everything I've said is leading up to 7 and 8. I didn't want to just jump into 7 and 8 without giving you the big picture. Because once you have the big picture, 7 and 8 means so much more. Alright, so Moses, or excuse me, Joshua is to be strong and courageous as he leads the people in because he has the precepts of the law. Alright, so let's read verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Be strong and courageous because you have the precepts of the law, Joshua. Now, there are several things here that I want us to focus on. And the first thing is is the Lord, I believe, was telling Joshua to have a great respect for the Word. Now notice what he says. Verse 7, Be strong and courageous. Be very careful to do according to all of the law. Do according to all of the law. Then in verse number 8, This book of the law. You see, God is forging a nation. He's forging and forming the nation of Israel. Nations have to have laws. Nations have to have rules. They have to have guidelines. And so that's what the Lord is saying to Joshua. You have the precepts of the law. You've got to have respect for the law, for the Word. Now, where did this law come from? Here in this passage, it says Moses commanded Joshua. But if you read back in Deuteronomy, which leads up to Joshua, you will see that the Lord gave the law to Moses. Moses, in turn, gave the law to the people and to Joshua specifically. So the source of this law is God himself. God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to Joshua. So Joshua is to respect the Lord's law. You see, that's just sort of like one of the prerogatives of being God. You get to make the rules. He gets to make the laws. I want you to notice what it didn't say. It didn't say God formed a focus group and put these ideas in front of the focus group to see what the people would do. God didn't poll the children of Israel and say, how many are in favor of this rule? Then let's go with it. How many are in favor of that rule? Let's go. No! 
God didn't consult anyone. He said, these are the laws that I gave to Moses, and Moses in turn gave them to you. Respect them. Now, what were the what's the substance of these laws? If you read Deuteronomy, the Lord gave laws for everything. He gave laws for their faith, how they were to relate to Him. He gave laws for their feast, how they were to celebrate Him. He gave laws for their food, what they could eat, what they couldn't eat. He gave laws for their fashion, what they could wear, what they couldn't wear. There were laws here that we would call civil laws. There were laws that we would call criminal laws. There were laws that governed all of their lives. And Joshua was to regard and respect that. And I want you to understand, this is a biggie. The law became the standard. Did you notice what Joshua said, or the Lord said to Joshua? Verse number 8. I'm sorry, verse number 7. He said, Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Here it is. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Respect the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Obviously, this has nothing to do with our political right and left. The imagery here is walking on a highway, a road, a straight and narrow. Stay on the road. Don't deviate to the right, that's error. Don't deviate to the left, that's error. Joshua, you stay on the road, that's the law. Don't get sidetracked here, there, and yon. If you read Deuteronomy, you will see over and over again, Moses was telling the people, when you go into the promised land, it's not an empty land. There are people already there. There are nations already there. They have their own ideas. They have their own worship practices. They have their own cultures. Be on guard that you are not conformed to their image. Don't absorb their practices. Don't absorb their attitudes. This is what the Lord is saying to Joshua right here. The law is the standard. Do not deviate to the right or to the left. Now, that's a strong word for Joshua. What about us? What's the application for us? It's the same. In John 17, Jesus said to the Father, Your word is truth. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us so that we can be equipped. And Jesus, before He ascended back to heaven, gave the Great Commission gathered his disciples together and he says, listen, I'm going away, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And watch this. And teach them to do, observe everything I commanded you. Joshua had the law of the Old Testament. We have the New Testament teachings. We have Jesus' commands. But it's an authoritative word. As Christians, we are to recognize and respect the authority of the word in our lives. And I want you to know, our culture does not support that. Like, duh. Talk about preaching to the choir. As I've told you in one of my previous visits, the only objective truth today is there is no objective truth. 
The only sin today is calling something sin. The only error today is saying something is an error. That's the culture in which we live. It's a relativistic culture that does not recognize an absolute objective truth. But we Christians say no. We Christians say, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ for this reason. I recognize that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the God-man. I recognize that I was separated from the Father, but through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, He has secured my salvation. He has secured my forgiveness of sins. So I am trusting Him for that free gift. But watch this. That's just the beginning. A Christian is not someone who just says, I want to go to heaven and I want to be good. No, a Christian says, I swear my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I swear my loyalty to Jesus Christ. And His Word is authoritative over my life. I respect that Word. His Word is authoritative and His Word forms my worldview. I recognize the authority of His Word. I respect that authority. And I will not turn to the left or to the right. Listen, being a follower of Jesus Christ is radical. It's radical. Because we are swearing allegiance to His Word, to His teachings, to His personhood. And we will not, come hell or high water, deviate to the left or to the right from His authoritative Word. It's the same thing the Lord was telling Joshua. You're going into a land and the culture is anything but godly and they're going to try to sway you this way or that way. You stand firm on the road, not to the left, not to the right. It's the same thing with us. Paul told the Romans, do not allow the world to conform you to its image. Now I want you to know this is not popular. But this is the Christian worldview. Right, let me just rattle off a few examples of, of what I'm talking about. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. John 1, 1, 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% human. Two natures, one person. That's the truth. That's the road. We will not deviate to the left or to the right from that. So if we hear anyone or anything saying other than Jesus is the God-man, we say, no, that's error. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the exclusive, only way of salvation. That's it. There is no plan B. That's it. And so if we hear anyone or anything saying there are many roads to lead to the Father, we say, no, that's not true. That's error to the left or to the right. Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation. The Bible teaches God created them male and female. Two genders. That's what we believe. That's what the Scripture teaches. Anything other than that is to the left or to the right. It's error. The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
That's the biblical definition of marriage. One male, one female, cleaving, cleaving to each other and becoming one flesh. That's scripture. Anything other than that is to the left or to the right. It's error. Psalm 139 says, God fearfully and wonderfully makes the baby in the womb. We believe, based on Scripture, there is personhood of the child in the womb. So anyone or anything that wants to deny personhood to him or her unborn in the womb is error. It's left or right. And we will not move from that. We're not mean. We're not angry. We're compassionate. Yes. A thousand times yes. Are we going to compromise the truth? A thousand times no. We're not going to turn from the left or to the left or to the right. That's the word to Joshua. That's the word to Christian. Listen, again, being a follower of Jesus Christ is radical. It's swearing allegiance to His word. We respect that. Mo, that is the most right-wing, bigoted, mean-spirited lunacy I have ever heard. Did I get enough descriptive words in there? That's, that's, what, we're, that's what is being said about us. Listen, the, the examples that I just gave you, nothing new. That is basic fundamental teaching of the church for 2,000 years. This is nothing new. But suddenly, it's horrible. Listen, it doesn't matter. We will not turn to the left. We will not turn to the right. Watch it. I don't expect Hollywood to agree with this. I don't expect the politicians to agree with this. I don't expect journalists to agree with this. I don't expect sports figures to agree with this. What's concerning is more and more churches are drifting. More and more pastors are drifting. Michael sent me an email a few weeks ago. Some of you may have received it. And it just talked about an organization that had caved on the biblical definition of marriage. And Michael just put down, what organization will succumb? What church will be next? God help us. Listen. Jesus said, my followers are the light of the world. You and I are light. We are not to hide that light. Because we live in a dark world. If we hide the light of truth, what's the dark world going to see? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. In that era, salt would say preserver. We are the preserving element in society. But Jesus said, if salt loses its effectiveness, what good is it? Listen, the way we impact the world is simply by being the church. It's simply by being loyal followers of Jesus Christ. We are light. We are salt. We do not impact the world by being like the world. That is what the Lord is telling Joshua. Here is my law. Here are the commandments. When you go into the land, there are going to be people, there are going to be nations that do not understand this, do not agree with this, and they are going to try to persuade you. It's the same thing today. I wanted us... I camped out on this first point. I promise you not all the other points are going to be this long. I wanted us to see the authority of the Word that we will not deviate from. It is our rule of faith and practice.
And here's what I've come to understand about Scripture. A lot of Christians, the problem is not that we don't understand the Word. It's that we don't want to stand under the Word. The Lord said, Joshua, stand under the Word. So, Joshua was to respect the Word. But there are a couple other things that he was supposed to do. The next one, he was to recite the Word. Let's go to verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. He was to recite the Word. You say, Mo, where are you getting the Word recite? He was to talk the Word. Look at this. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not cease coming out of your mouth. Notice what the Lord is telling Joshua. Joshua, don't let the word stop coming out of your mouth. But instead, you are to meditate on it. This is an unfortunate translation because when you and I see the word meditate, we initially think, think. But the Hebrew word here that is translated meditate doesn't mean think, it means talk. The only translation that I really think personally gets this right is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, Joshua, you are to recite the law day and night. This word means to mutter under your breath. It means to coo like a dove. It means to growl like a lion. It occurs a couple of dozen times throughout the Old Testament. And as you study this word throughout the Old Testament, it is used in conjunction with the mouth, with the tongue, with the lips over and over again. Listen to just a couple of verses. Psalm 35, 28. And my tongue shall declare, that's the word, shall declare your righteousness. Psalm 37, 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. And I could go on and on. The word meditate here doesn't so much mean think as it means talk. Joshua, don't let the word stop coming out of your mouth. Instead, talk it. Mutter it. Moan it. Groan it. Utter it. This is fascinating. Joshua was to practice self-talk. He was to talk the Word to himself. Why? As we'll see in a moment. So he would do it. So he wouldn't forget it. The Lord said, don't let it stop coming out of your mouth, but instead talk it so you will be careful to do it. It's sort of like a grocery list. Sometimes we say, you know, the three or four things, I don't need to type it out, I don't need to write it out, I got it, I got it, I got it. So we went in the grocery store, what are we doing? I need to get bread, I need to get milk, I need to get eggs, okay, bread, milk, eggs, bread, milk, eggs. I mean, you do it. In the old days, that's what we used to do with phone numbers. I mean, I had to give you a phone number, and then we just muddled it. I mean, you were just muttering it to yourself. Why do we do that? So we don't forget it. That's what the Lord's telling Joshua. Don't stop talking it, talk it, utter it, moan it, mutter it, so you don't forget. You see, when we get in the heat of the battle, more times than not, we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. See, we get in the heat of the battle and when temptation is, it's just too great. I want it. I want to do that. I can't overcome it. It's just too much. I want to give in. I'm just a man. I'm just human. I'm just flesh and blood. I can't do it. That's listening to ourselves. Instead, in the heat of the battle, we've got to take charge, be strong and courageous, and talk to ourselves. No temptation has taken me but what such is common to man. But God is faithful. 
And with every temptation, he will make a way of escape from me. See the difference? Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. That's what the Lord was telling Joshua. As you go throughout your day, you mutter the law to yourself. So you don't forget to do it. Now, as I thought about that, as he, Joshua was to recite the word, I thought, it's not in the text, but there have got to be some prerequisites. And I don't think I'm doing danger or harm to the text by listing a few prerequisites. First of all, I think before Joshua could recite the word, he had to read the word. You see, for Joshua to be out talking the word, he first of all had to get the word in him. The word was coming out of him, but it had to first get in him. How did he get it in him? He read it. Moses had recorded the law for him. And Moses said, make sure you carry this law probably on scrolls alongside of the ark. Joshua had the law. He poured over it, reading it, reading it, reading it. Now, here's the point in most sermons where the preacher just beats us up. I'm not going to do that. The point is, are we reading the Word? You know if you're reading it. I know if I'm reading it, so there's no sense in beating us up. But you know the stats. Every statistic, every survey says most Christians spend more time on social media and Netflix than they do reading the Word. It's just, it's truth. You know, we're, we're living in an interesting time. Never before has the church had access to the Bible the way we have access to it. Of course, it's in print. You can have any color cover you want. You can have any size print you want. It's digital. We can carry it around on our phone. We can carry it on our tablet, on our computer. We have more access to the Bible than ever before. Yeah, we're not reading it. I'm really fearful that the church is becoming illiterate. Now, I know I'm from Tennessee, so I want to pronounce that very carefully. I said illiterate, not with an I, with an A. Illiterate with an I is we can't read. Illiterate with an A is we won't read. If we are going to recite the Word, we've got to read the Word. But secondly, I think if we're going to recite the Word, we've got to reflect on the Word. I think for Joshua to be able to spit the Word out day and night, he not only had to read it, I think he had to sit there and reflect on it, think about it. That's why the English translators like this word meditate here, because they're building into the Word the idea of reflection, thinking. You see, the Lord gave a lot of commands, and Joshua had to think about them. The Lord gave commands like this, Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Joshua had to sit there and think about, now, what does it mean to take? Does that mean to bear, or does that mean to talk? What does it mean to take the name of the Lord God in vain? Does that mean to say a cuss word, or does that mean to name the name of Jehovah in vain? What, what does that mean? Joshua had to think about that. He was told, observe the Sabbath. Joshua had to reflect on that. What, what, what does that mean? What can we do, what can we cannot do? Joshua's told, don't let men wear women's clothes, don't let women wear men's clothes. He obviously had to think about that. What constitutes male clothing? What constitutes female clothing? He had to think about that. He had to reflect on it. It's the same as true with us. We can read and read and read, but are we taking the time to think? We read it, and then we have to ask ourselves, who wrote this? When was it written? Why was it written? What are the implications for me? What are the implications for my family? What are the implications for our nation? You see, we're facing some issues, not only privately, but publicly. What does the Bible say about race? 
What does the Bible say about poverty? What does the Bible say about the environment? What does the Bible say about gender identity? What does the Bible say about marriage? Every issue out there. What does the Bible say about that? See, that's how we form a Christian worldview. But in order to do that, it's not a verse a day will keep the devil away. It's not putting a verse on a plaque and putting it on the wall. We've got to read it and then we've got to reflect on it. We've got to think critically. Now listen, I'm not saying all of us are going to be philosophers and theologians. Lord knows I'm not. I thank God for the brilliance He puts in men and women who can articulate things. But I'm saying we've got to read and reflect enough so that when we're watching the news, when we're talking to family, when we're talking to friends, we can say, yeah, that lines up with Scripture. No, that doesn't line up with Scripture. And then we've got to remember it. For Joshua to be able to talk and recite the Word, he had to remember it. He wasn't carrying the scroll around with him all the time into battle. He was spouting off the Word. How could he do that? Because he remembered it. Now, I'm not legalistic when it comes to Scripture memory, but I do think we need to get Scripture inside of us. When Jesus was tempted in the New Testament, boy, he could spout off the Word because it was in him. Now, there are two primary ways that we can remember or memorize Scripture. One is an active way. Okay, I'm going to memorize John 3.16. We type it out, we write it out on a card, we send a text to ourselves, whatever, and we practice John 3.16. The other way is passive. We have just read the book of John so many times, it's just a part of us. You see, I dare say, if you and I say, today I'm going to start reading the book of Ephesians. And for the next 30 days, I'm going to read the book of Ephesians every day. By the end of a month, there are going to be parts of Ephesians that are just part of you. It's just sheer repetition. You can come up to me and ask me what Barney said to Andy in this particular episode, and I can tell you. I never set out to say, okay, I'm going to actively memorize the dialogue between Andy and Barney. I don't do that. It's just that I've watched them so much. Oh, I know what's coming. I know what he's going to say. That's the way it is. We're just in the Word, in the Word, in the Word. It just comes out. So do you see what the Lord's telling Joshua? Joshua, you've got to respect the Word. It has authority over you, and I want you to recite it. I want you to talk it. And then there are two more things, real quickly. Thirdly, you are to respond to it. Notice what he says. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. Why was Joshua supposed to respect and then get into the word so that he would be able to recite it so that it would lead to his response? So it would lead to obedience. So it would lead to action. Listen, as we read through scripture, the emphasis of scripture is on obedience. The emphasis of Scripture is doing the Word. But to do the Word, we've got to get it in us. But then we get it out of us. We do it. In James chapter 1, James says, don't just be hearers of the Word. They were listening to sermons. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. Jesus said, let me tell you about a couple men in Matthew chapter 7. He said, there was a man who heard these words of mine and he didn't do them. And he was like a man who built his house on the sand. And the storms came and the house went smash. He said, there was another man who heard these words and teachings of mine and he did them. He obeyed them. And he's like a man who builds his house on the rock and the storms come and the house stands firm. Do you see in that teaching, Jesus is saying both men heard the same sermon. Both men read the same Bible. One of them obeyed. One of them forgot what he heard or read. What was the stability? The stability in the storm 
was obedience to the word. And what is the Lord telling Joshua? You respect the word, you recite the word so that you will do the word. So as we are reading and reflecting on the word, the question is, are we asking the question now, how do I live this out? How do I walk this out? How do I apply this? And then the fourth thing the Lord was telling Joshua is to rely on the word. Verse number seven. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Then he said in verse 8, when you do the word, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. The idea here is the Lord is saying, Joshua, if you will apply what I am teaching, if you will obey, then you will have success in the mission that I'm giving you. This is not a blank check. This is success in the mission that I'm giving you. What is the mission? Lead these people into the land. This is not a blank check. I can't read this passage right here and say, Oh, I respect the word. I've been reciting the word. I've been obeying the word. I feel pretty good. And so the Lord, based on what I've just done, is promising me success and prosperity. You know, it's been a while since I've run a marathon, and I'm closing in on 60 years. But, you know, I think I'll go to the Olympic trials this year for the marathon. And based on this passage right here, I'm going to have success. I'm going to come home with the gold medal. You say, Mo, that's ludicrous. That's right. This is not a blank check. It is... What is the task that the Lord has called us to? And the Lord says, if you will follow my precepts for this task, you will have success. You will have prosperity. It's not a blank check for anything and everything. Does that make sense? Now I want to ask you a question. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe, right here, if the Lord calls us to something, and we follow His precepts, then He will bring that something to pass. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we can go to the Word and the Lord will, if we follow, will manage the finances of our home? Do we really believe that if we follow His precepts as it relates to family? Do we really believe that if we build our business based on the principles of Scripture, God will honor that? Do we really believe that? Or did we say, you know, the Bible is good to get me to heaven, but that's really about all it has to say to me. See, I don't know about you, but if I really believed that if I were in this word and obeying this word, that the Lord is going to prosper my way, I'm not talking financial prosperity, I'm talking about whatever he's called me to do, he's going to give success, I would be devouring this thing. The Lord is saying, Joshua, you live in an uncertain time. Moses is dead. I'm calling you to take these people across the Jordan River into a foreign land. You need a certain word. Here's the word. Follow my precepts. And I'm going to give you success as you cross over. Same is true with us. Now, how do we land this plane? I'm just going to suggest something very, very practical. I don't know where you are in your Bible reading. You may be reading three hours a day. God bless you. You may say, I haven't picked up a Bible in a year, six years. 
doesn't matter. Here's what I'm going to suggest. If you haven't been reading or all that you've been doing is maybe reading a verse a day kind of thing, I'm going to suggest that you start with the book of the Bible. Pick a book of the Bible. Pick the book of John. Pick the book of Ephesians. Whatever. Start with the book of the Bible. If you've not been in the habit of reading, all I'm going to ask you to do is starting today, read five minutes. Don't say I'm going to read 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. We might do that for a day or two, but we're going to fall. Read a chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. John chapter 1. Tomorrow read the next chapter. The next day read the next chapter. I'm a big proponent of reading through books in the Bible so that we understand the context of what's going on rather than just going in and pulling out a verse here, there, and yon. So, read a chapter today. Read the next chapter tomorrow. But if you're only going to read five minutes, please reserve five minutes to think about what you read. If you say, I've got ten minutes to devote to Bible reading, read for five and think for five. Don't read for ten and think for none. Because I want you to reflect. Reflect on what you're reading. Alright, what, what is this passage saying about my theology? What's it saying about Jesus? What's it saying about my personal life? My sanctification? What's it saying about my habits? What's it saying about my family? What's it saying about my finances? What's it saying about the events or the uh, uh, concepts facing our society? What's it saying? And then read five minutes for this first week. And then after you've gotten your sea legs, then expand that next week to ten minutes. But then have another five or ten minutes for reflection. Always have time for reflection. Think about it. Okay? Now, when we do that, we are forming our worldview. And what does your pastor Michael always say? He even has the nice t-shirts. Do not let the world teach you theology. Your Christian worldview is formed with Scripture, not society. Lord, we thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you that it is an anchor for our souls. We thank you that it is a light unto our paths. We thank you that it is food and nourishment. Lord, we are not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We are like newborn children, Lord. We are craving and desiring the sincere milk of the word. Father, I pray that we will have just an unsatisfied appetite for the word that we will devour it and Lord I ask that you will open our eyes open our hearts to receive the word and to understand the word Lord form us form us forge us into followers of Jesus Christ who have a Christ centered worldview and Lord give us a heart of compassion because we know that knowledge builds up or knowledge puffs up, Lord. We want the love that builds up. Lord, we don't want to be arrogant or haughty or mean-spirited. Lord, we want the compassion of Jesus flowing out of us as surely as the truth of Jesus flowing out of us. We commit this to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.